Welcome to the CT Startup Podcast, an inside perspective on the startup ecosystem in the great state of Connecticut. I'm your host, Michael Kaufman. And with me, Dave Bernard. And Eric Francis. And Mike Kaufman. You pointed to him. No, I did. But Mike introduced himself, Chris. You're supposed to follow. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm Chris Morrow. <laughs> And we have Chris with us as well. Um, okay, so we are sitting here today with uh, Scott Orsi, Director of Operations and Strategy at the Office of Community Child Health over at Connecticut Children's Medical Center. We boys ready to kick this thing off? Well, I think we had a few announcements first. Uh, the first thing we want to say was make sure, please oh, right. leave us your emails. Yeah, right? we want your emails. We, we need them. Yes, please subscribe to our newsletter. We will provide you with updates. Uh, subscribe. Part of our new and energetic initiative to really get out there with CT Startup Podcast and expand its reach. And also, please check us out, ctstartup.com. See what's new and happening. We're on Facebook, Twitter. Uh, Chris, anywhere else? Just that for now. Okay. <laughs> so the other thing is we're going to try to start a new segment coming up soon. Um, I'm temporarily calling it uh, CT Startup Dispute Resolution. So the idea is is that uh, if you have something going on in your company and you would like some advice uh, and you would like us to talk about it, uh, we're happy to do so. Send us an email. We won't mention the company name. It can be completely anonymous, um, but we'll read the you know we'll read the content out the the question out online and uh, and then talk about it for a while and see if we can't come up with an answer. Um, we'll give them a new <coughs> alias as well. Yes, we'll give them a new alias and. Uh, and and then we'll you know and and certainly I wouldn't expect our our answers to be entirely serious but uh, we'll give it our best shot. Excellent. Excellent. You want your dirty laundry? <laughs> <laughs> yes. S- send all your dirty laundry directly to Chris tomorrow at. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Scott, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me on on the show. Yeah, no problem. So it's kind of a, you're, you're an interesting uh, kind of fit into the ecosystem because you're not necessarily an entrepreneur, are you? You're, you're kind of like, you're not a service provider, are you? Like, where, where would you consider yourself as like part of the ecosystem? Well, I think we we fit um, more in the service provider type of area to support innovators as they're thinking about how they're moving their ideas forward and how they can um, strengthen what they're doing and reach broader impact in, what, in their efforts. Nice. So is that what your your office is like focused on, or is that just what you're focused on? Yeah, so maybe I should just take a step back and explain kind of um, why um, Connecticut Children's Medical Center is doing this at all. So um, because it, it is kind of an interesting story. So, you know, we know that healthcare is changing. Um, there's this focus kind of moving, looking for cost savings within the, within the system toward population, this kind of term of population health that we're hearing. And, and Connecticut Children's a few years ago had the foresight to, to kind of do a new strategic plan and take a look at, you know, how are they going to fit into this? And part of that was to change our vision. And so we used to have a vision that focused on, you know, providing the highest quality care, preferred provider, that sort of thing. And now our vision is to make the children of Connecticut the healthiest in the nation. And when you take that kind of external look as an institution like ours, then you, you really quickly realize that we're not going to do that just looking at the, the patients that come through the doors of our hospital. So um, the Office for Community Child Health was really um, formed as a, in response to that, to think about what are we doing about health within the community, um, outside our walls, such that maybe we could prevent children um, from having to utilize our services and therefore obviously increase the overall health of the population. Um, and so this idea of... of, of reaching out into the community is has kind of been at our at our heart since the very beginning 
Um, what's, what's interesting is when you do that, you realize that there aren't necessarily, um, we haven't necessarily solved all of our problems yet. There aren't programs out there for, for that really address all of the different um, issues that, that children and families face. Um, and so part of what, we, what we're developing is what we're calling our Advancing Kids Innovation Program, um, where we will, um, where we're reaching out to innovators in all sectors, um, wherever they may be, and, and entrepreneurs as well as even program developer type folks who are like working um, as researchers or whatever elsewhere, and trying to um, provide a lens to them to say, you know, how does your work relate to um, children's health and development? Um, and we, we hope that that lens would, would, would strengthen the work that they're doing. Um, and so, and so that's how we kind of fit in is this idea of if we can expose um, folks and innovators to the sorts of problems that we see and the sorts of interventions and the sorts of um, things that do work for children's and for, for children and for families, then um, that should offer um, some areas for people to you know really innovate and be be successful. It seems like pediatrics hasn't been the, the focal point uh, for innovation for a long time, and I think. I mean, it's really that that's not where the money is at this point. Right. So, but what we're realizing and the providers and the, the, the care providers, and the insurers is that with prevention, they could actually save a lot of more money down the road though. Right. Um, so you, are you, are you seeing that being the case now that there's a whole lot more innovation being brought to pediatrics at this point than there was, you know, five, 10 years ago? Um, yes. And, and, and in many ways, pediatrics, um, leads is leading the charge in that particular area where you're thinking about sort of this long term we actually t go beyond prevention and think about health promotion so this idea that so and, and, and you just kind of alluded to this so and I don't have the exact numbers but a very a relatively small percentage of total health care costs is consumed by um, by children I mean children are generally not you know, necessarily you know they're not at end of life they're at the beginning of life and there's not necessarily a lot of consumption at that air and um, and, and then if you go a little deeper, you realize that a fairly small percentage of children consume most of those costs, you know, folks with chronic conditions or, or, or cancer or that sort of thing, where you, you have a, a complex medical condition. Um, but the truth is that 100% of children are growing up. And so they are going to be 100% of the future consumers of healthcare. And so are there things that we can do in childhood, in childhood in settings where we can um, you know, kind of have that long-term impact that you're, you're referring to. Um, and, of course, the challenge is we're talking, you know, can you wait 15 years, 20 years for that, that payback so that, you know, if you can um, have some intervention that prevents, let's say, reduces obesity rates um, and, and, therefore, there's um, medical and health costs associated with that, um, can, you, can you wait that long? That's a real challenge for our types of uh, business models, if you will, interventions. And the other problem that we face is that, the investment, the return on investment often occurs in a different area or different sector than where you make the investment. So you make, make an investment in early care and education, like in a child care setting, and you may see um, paybacks in the field of, you know, juvenile justice or special education or um, criminal justice. And you don't really see a whole lot of you know, prison wardens saying, well, you know, instead of build, expanding the wing, you know, adding a new wing to my prison, I'm going to now open a daycare center. <laughs> uh, so... So that return on investment is, is not only very long down the road, but the fact that it fits in different sectors makes it very, very challenging for us. Um, but I would say that there, there is a lot of innovation going on, um, and there's a lot of really good thinking going on. And there's also a lot of folks who are working in other sectors, let's say um, affordable housing or um, public safety or transportation, that are also thinking in, along these same terms and can really you know, benefit from looking through the lens of 
of how does it, what their work does influence um, the health and outcome for children in the long run. So you're talking about the innovation, you're talking about like the entire environment, not just their, their health, uh, not like, it's just like everything, the housing, that's, that's like, it's like the nature-nurture kind of thing right there. Absolutely. So um, what's interesting is only about 10% of your health has, has, been, has been derived by the healthcare, the healthcare sector that you've received over the course of your life. The rest of it is things like genetics and behavior and what we really look a lot at is social circumstance. And so, um, so you're not gonna, we're not gonna solve health issues and, and even health cost issues by simply looking within the healthcare sector. We need to look in that environment that you're talking about. Um, and, and in fact, we've really, um, even with the programs that we work with, and now so, um, you know, I know this podcast really talks a lot about entrepreneurs and, and, and business stuff, but we I'm also... Yeah, well, that's, that's okay. <laughs> I, I like talking about that stuff too, by the way. Um, and, but, but the truth is, is that innovation is happening um, across a number of different areas, and, um, and and we view it kind of as kind of a we use the word innovation or innovators a lot more than we tend to use the word entrepreneurs because in some ways we kind of n- narrow it a little bit when we talk about entrepreneurs um, and that sort of business model side of things. But there are other business models out there, and there's, there's the public health sector, and there's other things that um, where folks really do need to think about innovation. There are definitely business models, and you take you know take a look at an organization like Reset here at Hartford, who's really looking at that social entrepreneur social enterprise side of things. Um, and we very much support that sort of thinking as well. You know, first of all, I, I, maybe the health system, healthcare system, has impacted 10% of my overall health. Um, I think the concept of the hamburger has perhaps impacted 40% of my overall health. Um, and the variation in types of hamburgers and expansion of store systems has really made a serious impact on that. Innovation. <clears throat> um, uh, but so you said you reach out to innovators. What is it exactly that Children's Hospital does with? Uh, so how are we reaching out yeah. to folks? So, um, well, that's we're still developing, and I'm actually very interested in hearing other folks, um, how other folks are doing. And we link into a number of the folks, you know, you guys around the table here, and thinking about that. Um, I I am in the process, maybe a little bit early to announce, but we, we are in the process of hiring a, a, a program manager to run our Advancing Kids Innovation Program. So that should be coming up um, in the near, very near term. Um, but what we did is a few years ago, we said, you know, this is really important. We actually um, have been talking about innovation for since the inception of the office, so probably since around 2013 or so. Mm-hmm. Um, and we talked to different folks, both internal to the institution, to the medical center, as well as externally, and we had this very open-door policy. It's like, if you're an innovator, we want to talk with you, we want to think about this. And, and what was interesting is not a lot of people necessarily were darkening our door. Um, and it's like, well, why is that? I and mean, we have expertise, we have things that we could maybe help out with, and we really want to help. Um, so why is that? And so a couple of years ago, we said, well, you know, we're, we're not getting there, so how do we actually do this? And we talked to, uh, we actually kind of engaged, so kind of the medical center is a, is a research institution. Mm-hmm. Um, so, of course, we have to do research. Um, and so we did an environmental scan of folks who are supporting innovators and thought about and tried to find out what strategies they're doing and like, you know, the beer and an idea and that sort of mm-hmm. activities that are out there. Um, we just kind of cataloged them and created a set of strategies um, that we feel will be successful. And, and, and we, we piloted a few of those over the course of the last couple of years and we've been fairly excited about some of the results that we've seen. Um, and, and one in particular I can highlight is our, what we're calling our Community Health Innovation Checkup. Um, or CHICU for short. So we're a hospital, you know, you have intensive care units, ICUs, uh, NICU, PICU, now we have a CHICU that's for entrepreneurs and for other innovators. 
Um, and the idea is that you can come in. It's really an open door right now. We haven't had a floodgate necessarily opened on us yet. But you can come in and talk to a. And what, I'll, what I'm committed to doing is bringing four to six experts in child health, program design, um, uh, evaluation, research, whatever kind of things that kind of fit into your innovation. If you're looking at asthma, then we can bring you know folks who doctors who deal with that sort of those sort of conditions. And what we'll do is we'll we'll talk with you and just sort of um, uh, brainstorm with you and, and kind of evaluate where you are and provide feedback. Um, and, and we think that that's fairly valuable. And, and people have been really excited about coming in and talking with us. Um, and what our hope is is that we, we, we kind of nudge folks toward more we, what we refer to as evidence-based sorts of interventions that, um, you know, you can kind of link to the science because the science is really out there. I mean, this is all kind of common sense. It's like you got to, you know, get out there, you it's important when your child skins his knee that you give him a hug. I mean, this is common mm -hmm. sense stuff, but now there's also a lot of research that shows that what happens in childhood is has this long-term impact on, on children. The, the quote from Wadsworth that says the, the, the child is the father of the man is extremely true in our in our world. And so, and, and now we, we have longitudinal studies over you know 30 years that show that you know if you have these adverse things happen in childhood, they can have these horrible outcomes in the long term. Well. Our, our perspective is let's not try to necessarily remove all the adverse things that are happening to children, but how do we build strength in families? How do we build strength for children such that they can um, uh, be successful dealing with those things? So, you know, we, we talk about things like resilience and grit. I mean, entrepreneurs have these things in spades. Um, and so um, how do you engender those? Well, you let, some, you let your child go out there, you let them fail, but when they fail, they got to come back and have a successful, you know, kind of, result on the other end of it. So so these are the types of things that we can offer to, to innovators and say, you know, here's how you can link into the science that's there. Here's here's how you may want to think about evaluating the work that you're doing um, and uh, so such that you can um, connect in with, with others who are doing similar types of work. So do you connect innovators in with your uh, researchers and practicing physicians? Yes, so we, we can. Mm -hmm. um, so this is an interesting line to walk for me in particular so I don't have a healthcare background myself um, and so I'm, a, so I'm a little bit of a square peg in this round hole of, of healthcare um, but this idea that um, we, we can potentially link folks in but we also have to be careful about the linkages that we make you know obviously we want we want to have success from those mm -hmm. linkages as well and people especially within the healthcare sector are, are very time limited with their time so but we do view that we actually think there's three things that innovators really need um, one is access just like you said to folks that, i mean they could be customers they could be um you know so a physician or or even a patient could be a, a, a potential customer to an innovator mm -hmm. if you want to think of it in those sort of business terms um, and so we can provide that sort of access. So we have to be careful about how we provide it, but we can. Um, they, folks also need um, services. They need expertise. They need um, they need guidance. They they need to you know I need a, an accountant. I, I, how do I get an accountant? I'm not going to help you with the accountant, but um, but the but we can help you with you know okay I, I need to connect to someone who knows what they're talking about here. Um, and then the third thing is, you know, we need we need funding, we need resources, and, and and that and that sort of thing. And these are all areas where we are open, our doors sort of open to thinking about how we can help out. And as innovators um, find, are, are thinking about innovations that are um, more aligned with our work, we can certainly provide more and more as we go. 
So can you give us an example of uh, someone who's come to your door or, or, or an innovation that you saw that you liked that you think you guys could help with? Or um, sh- Sure. I mean, we've, um, we've really seen sort of the gamut of, of the dif- different types of innovations. Um, we, um, we actually have internally a number of programs that we developed um, that I can give you as an example, which are a little less in the entrepreneurial space, but then, um, but are more in this sort of system building population health space of things. So our signature program is called Help Me Grow. Um, Help Me Grow is a system, and this is very much the trajectory that we like to see innovations move through. Um, let's think very small as you want your kind of your test case. So Help Me Grow is a service that basically, if you have a concern about your child's development, you can call a, a, a call center essentially, and you can say, "Listen, my child's not talking. They're three years old. What do I do? I, how do I, I'm concerned. I don't know what to do." And you can get linked to community resources, and that's what they do. They ensure that they first ask some questions, so sort of care coordinations, like you know what is going on in your family, and then and then they ensure that you get linked to a pro, you know the proper kinds of resources, and then they also follow up to make sure that linkage actually happened and it, it was successful. Well, that was piloted here in Hartford. Um, it was successful here in Hartford. We were able to evaluate it. We moved it to, um, it's, it's now a, a line item within the state budget here in Connecticut. And, and we now serve, we actually now run, we don't actually run the system here in Hart, in Connecticut. We actually run what's called the Help Me Grow National Center, which is, provides technical assistance to other states who are developing a similar types of, similar types of innovations across there. And what's interesting is that actually provides us a platform for diffusing other innovations. So we have two other innovations that we're currently diffusing across now, what is now a, a 20, 25 state network and growing. Um, so as innovations kind of meet these sort of categories, you know, sort of these kind of milestones or whatever, as they're kind of growing from pilot to broader impact to this broadest impact, we have a, a, a kind of a, a customer base or a, a, a channel to distribute them through. But we also talk about things that are much more tangible. So, um, you know, we, we, we had someone come into one of our chickies um, uh, several months ago um, related to uh, probably someone who you guys know, but we, was related to the, um, uh, you know, does teen driver safety has an app related to, okay, can, you know, how do we connect, connect with um, what parents have more awareness of what their teen drivers are doing, how many, pay, you know, because there's a lot of laws in Connecticut, for instance, right, and they call them graduated driver's license laws, mm-hmm. where you, as you're, as you're becoming more adept at driving, you're allowed to do more things. So at first, you know, you can't drive during at night or whatever, and then you can kind of move up to different things. Well, how do you enforce that? How do parents, parents could want to make a curfew or something of that sort. So how, how do you have that sort of, so that's sort of an app. You think about it, hey, I'm going to be able to sell this and um, have a commercial model related to it. So it's also related to promoting health in the community and preventing injury and other things of that sort. Fantastic. So, and what you've, you certainly, as you said before, you've sort of explored the Connecticut entrepreneur community. Um, I know you've attended a lot of events and such, and you're saying you're adapting some of the stuff you've seen out there for, um, for expanding your innovation program. What have you seen out there that you liked? Oh, there's, there's a ton of things to be really proud of here in the state of Connecticut. I mean, it's, and it's really, it starts really at the, at the top where we, we see, you know, a focus at, at the governor and, and at the state legislator level to think about, like, we really want to support innovations here. I don't know that we've necessarily figured out how to do that mm-hmm. effectively yet, but it's really impressive to see that we, that we are at least talking about it at that level. Um, and then all the way down to the entrepreneur led, Area. I mean, you think about the Mark Lazovs of the world who are, or, you know, and you guys who are leading the charge as on some of you as entrepreneurs who are, are trying to make a difference right at the ground level. And then you have, you know, a number of, 
you know, feeder types of organizations that are really, I think, are, are growing and are strong, you know, are stronger today, certainly, than they were a couple of years ago. Um, and I think there's, I think it's a great place to be. So, so what, what's the bad then? Come on, because like, because that's, a, that's a, the thing that we're trying to figure out is that there's, there's always something good, there's always something bad. And, and because as an ecosystem, right? I mean, we, we're starting to see articles. I mean, uh, Chris, you, you gave us something about how there's $400 million that was invested, right, into Connecticut. I don't know where that went. But uh, <laughs> I know we didn't get any piece of it. But um, but it's just one of those things where if we can't keep looking at like what are what aren't we doing well, you know, kind of yeah. things. And and again, you're from a service provider perspective, um, so it's like where what, what do you think that we can do better as an ecosystem to? Yeah. Well, first I would probably not frame anything that we're doing as as bad because if you take a look at the trajectory over time, it has only improved. I would say. Um, and so and I've been very interested in. How do you support entrepreneurs or people? Who, I, I used to call them ideapreneurs because I didn't really want to focus only on on commercial business models. Mm-hmm. But how do you support ideapreneurs and, and get them connected to the resources that they need? And I will, I, I can attest that there are more resources today than there were three or four years ago available to folks. But you know where we could potentially, I mean, I, I mean, we could clearly communicate better. Uh, um, and and off and, and and collaborate more across these different areas. So you know, there's a tendency, somewhat, uh, and you know, this is not related to necessarily our ecosystem here as much as it's related to a sort of a Hartford, Connecticut phenomenon. I would say, which is we tend to like to build our little fiefdoms rather than necessarily thinking about how we fit within the broader. Um, network and, and, and I often talk about this when I'm talking to folks and that is that like if you were to draw that little diagram of your view of the world in the future so many times people like to draw this picture where they have a whole bunch of circles around in a kind of a broader circle and there's mm-hmm. another circle right in the middle and almost always they'll put their logo right there in that center and say, say I want to be the center of this hub <laughs> on a wheel so, right um, <clears throat> I look at it very differently I look at the network and say let's take let's take the broader look my goal is that I don't Want to, yeah, I don't want to be the hub on a wheel. I want to be a node in this network. I want us to be a node in this network. And and my and if that's if, if my goal is the ecosystem to improve, I want to see every node get stronger. I want to see every linkage get every linkage that happens, even if it's not to me, is something to celebrate. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, what are the strategies? If if you have that view, what sorts of strategies might you use um, that might be different than? when we're doing it this other way. Now, it's true, if you were to actually take that same diagram I just t- described and then cut off everything, any other connection that's beyond just one connection away from you, you look like a hub on a wheel. So we're not really talking about different things. It's just a perspective difference about the fact that we want this ecosystem to be successful. And the more connections and and, and the more bridging across different sectors that we can think about, it, the more success we're going to have. So, so it sounds like you're saying let people need to be less self-centered? <laughs> sure. I, um, you can, I mean, you can think of it that way. I think it's that we get ourselves. We, so we are in a resource constrained environment, and so, and it's very easy to start to say, well, we're all competing for that same pie of of funding of dollars or or whatever, um, and and we're instead. But I, I can attest in in anywhere you look around Hartford in the region, there is way more than enough need to go around for all of us to, mm-hmm. to work on. The challenge is, of course, that there's only so much, it, it can sometimes feel like there's only so much funding. But that's where cross-sector and, and collaboration can really come into play because if we can make, and, and even just cooperating with each other, because where we can find um, 
if we can strengthen the work that we're doing here, that will attract more funding. And that will attract, you know, so the more successful small businesses that, um, let's say, that come through and sit within Access 901 over in Manchester, um, the, the more successful they are, the more successful we're all going to be because we're going to have better mentors. We're going to have more linkages to things that we can um, benefit from. So is it because, like, we're, you know, a small state compared to other, you know, others? Um, and I think I just saw something online was that we have the same population as Silicon Valley yeah. um, or, or something like right around that. It's, it's almost like instead of, again, the, the Hartford thinking about Hartford and, and New Haven thinking about New Haven and Stanford thinking about Stanford, it's, it's like we have to think about Connecticut. Like, it, it's at the end of the day, like, we're not that far away where... Is that kind of what you're talking about, the fiefdoms? Where yeah, I mean, you. Yeah. So you know, we, we have to be honest about who we are, also in this process. So uh, you know, we talk about this New England self-rule kind of perspective. There's 169 towns in Connecticut, and everyone has its own school district and the yep. fire department and, and that sort of thing. And um, that's who we are. And so I, I think we need to think about how we embrace that. Okay. Um, and yes, I think we do need to think about the whole. I'm not sure if I would necessarily put boundaries around it to say it has to be the state of Connecticut or if it should be a regional thing or whatever. But certainly recognizing that when I encounter an innovator here and I can't meet one of their needs, I should be aware of how I can help that innovator in other ways and maybe link them to somebody else who'd be able to make their needs. So the idea of that someone maybe leaves the, you know, the, the, um, the, the region for, for a short time to receive some services, that doesn't bother me at all. Like mm -hmm. the fact that every, you know, we may not have everything right here. Yeah. Um, so that's okay. Yeah, we, we have the, the test too with Mike. He keeps yeah. running away from that kid, you know. So. But, but, here, <laughs> but I keep coming back. And but, I think, you know, you, you're here speaking is, exactly yeah. to it. You know, I, I want to stay in Connecticut. I want to be a part of it. Uh, and I am. You know, yeah. I'm going to accelerators down in D.C., um, in New York, going out to California for a little while. But you know, I think it, it goes directly back to what you said, you know, looking at Connecticut from a holistic point of view, not all your needs can be met. And as an entrepreneur, as an innovator, as an ideapreneur, you need to go where you have to go in order to keep the dream alive and, and keep pushing the needle forward. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that if we see, as we see more success from folks like yourself here, I mean, there is a lot of resources here in Connecticut. Mm -hmm. There are, there's, and I, and I've, I'm always baffled by this. There are, there's more talent in this state than I think you, you're going to find in your, I mean, probably not Silicon Valley, yeah. the example, but, <laughs> yeah. but it, you know, any other comparable area around. I mean, you certainly have a lot of really high, highly educated people, people who are just really smart. Then you have a lot of money that's in the state too. So, um, and yet all those investments at the moment, we, we, we poo poo this that, you know, that those investments go outside of the state or that people don't look here. Well, if we start to see some success, there's no reason why anyone wouldn't invest here. They just need to find the right, you know, opportunities. Yeah, exactly. The, the money in the state is, is to me the big problem, right? Like it's, it's the fact that most of our money that comes into this sector is government money. And there's a lot of private money in the state that does not go into this sector. And so in some ways you, you are creating competition among these, these organizations. Um, you know, places, whether it's Reset or someplace south like the Stanford Innovation Center or, you know, um, some of the accelerated programs like the refinery and others, you know, they I mean, they all receive government money and they're all pulling from the same pool of government money. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's a, it's, it, and, and they all do wonderful work. I'm not, in any way disparaging these organizations, but they, but they naturally are both supportive of each other because they want to build the community and they're both competitive because they're trying to pull from the same pool of money and making sure they get, you know, their share of it. Um, <clears throat> I mean, I think one of the things that 
will benefit, and I understand it's a you know chicken and egg question, is that when we start getting attention from outside of Connecticut, when they start to hear about some of the companies and some of the things that we're promoting here, um, that it will allow the community to expand um, in, a, in a much healthier way when you have more private money coming in and and people aren't competing as much for the same resources. And, you know, so these organizations can can really be more cooperative. Well, I think like like you said, Scott, <clears throat> as you connect these nodes, provide more resources, <clears throat> enable more opportunities for innovation and growth from a startup perspective, that will actually bring in more money um, and allow that growth down the line. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's, you know, it's um, unfortunately just like the ROI of, you know, uh, putting money in inv- innovation around pediatrics. You know, the ROI is going to take some time, but, you know, it's going to happen. And just to that note, uh, as Eric mentioned earlier, uh, there was a Wall Street Journal article recently that noted that um, over $400 million was invested into Connecticut startups from private equity last year. Um, That's a 43% increase over 2014. So the private money is starting to flow. Um, I think just one of the other issues why we're not seeing it as much as we'd like to is because of something Scott said, you know, Connecticut has 130-something towns. We don't have a county seat of government. So it's like one of these things where everybody's everybody's competing, but we're not working together as well as we should. And I, I think it is all related, you know, from the startup ecosystem to how, you know, local governments are running. Once we start seeing people come together a little more, I, I really think we'll start to see the startup seat really explode in the state. So do you, did it say where that money was going? Uh, actually, actually, I have the article up. Uh, a lot of the money appears to be going around the New Haven area, particularly the um, uh, the bioscience, so, so stuff yes. like that. Yeah, a lot of Yale. I mean, the article says there's something like over 100 active startups in the New Haven area alone right now, and a lot of them are focusing on the medical science stuff. So it's there, but it's not just in New Haven. Stanford, Hartford yeah. gets a mention. So they're definitely, it's starting there's, to There's a good amount of pharmaceutical companies in New Haven, too. Yeah, and ever since Jackson Labs came in uh, to the state, that's helped as well. I mean, they've they supported other innovation. Um, <clears throat> but you have, I mean, one of the great things about Connecticut is that we have all these separate hubs, right? We have we have uh, centers and stores, uh, Hartford, Stamford, New Haven, all places that have different universities and different activities, things going on. The problem with Connecticut is we have four different hubs and they're all spread out and uh and sometimes it's tough to connect them right to to realize that you know maybe the right opportunity is is not a medical uh, medical focused company right next to yale it's one down in stanford or in fairfield county um so but it's hard to sometimes get an overall grasp of all of the companies and where they're at because you have a large community within that's made up of like three or four separate smaller communities yeah, and I mean, I mean, all the way from UConn all the way down to Stanford. I mean, it's kind of again, there's hubs all over the place. I mean, it's a good thing, but it's a you know, it's a good thing. But at the same time, like Brad Feld's book, like he talks about going between Boulder and Denver. You know how there's like they're they're close enough where you can take a drive and and you know be there and have a meeting there and come back. So. Um, or you could just listen to T- CT Startup. Yeah, exactly. and learn yeah. everything about companies and, across and the state. Right from and your you couch. Give, yeah, and give us your problems, and we'll give you some great advice. That's on right. How to, how to handle it because we. We feel that highly about ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and what's interesting is that, so when we're looking at innovation, we, we, we sometimes, um, the challenge that I see with some of the, the state 
funding that you were kind of mm-hmm. alluding to, Dave, is that sometimes that sounds like we're sort of picking the winners and the losers. And what I've discovered about <coughs> innovators through my, my work or innovation through my work is that um, good innovators, good entrepreneurs um, figure it out. And like we shouldn't really be thinking about like what is it that they're working on today. What we should be thinking about is what is their capacity to move forward and to pivot when they need to pivot and that sort of thing. That's what I'd like to see us strengthening in folks or in in our ecosystem because um, you know we can we can get all excited about different innovations, um, but there's never I, I don't know a lot of good examples of really top down design that has really worked. The way that this stuff really works is that like you know you're working in the trenches, hustling every day, trying to get you know your thing done, and then you get some critical feedback. And I've seen some innov- uh, entrepreneurs. I, I my jaw drops when I watch how they they operate. They they stick with something long enough. But then not too long. Like they'll stick with it long enough to like really see if it works. But then like there's some things like they'll they'll will switch in their mind and say this isn't working. But I've learned something, and then they move on to something else. That's what I'd like to strengthen mm-hmm. in folks, and and actually even introduce that as an idea to folks. Because when we sit there and just kind of top down decide that this innovation or this particular business model that that's sort of the concept of like is should we be investing heavily in biomedical, mm-hmm. you know, whatever? It's like, well. Do we have that strength here in Connecticut already? We have some of it, so we, we probably should. But at the same time, there's a lot of other strengths here. So, I've always thought it was a truism in the industry that uh, that it's the person and not the idea. Don't get me wrong. There are some great ideas out there, um, and sometimes the people have enough capacity to carry it off. But I've seen a lot of, again, my judgment, whether it's bad or good. I'm not going to make any, <laughs> any judgments about my judgment, but, but the idea that, you know, sometimes there are bad or mediocre ideas that the right person can carry off. Right. And then, and that person can also have a decide, can, has the skill, the ability, and the endurance, right? Mm-hmm. The, 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 the heart behind it to really make it happen no matter what the obstacles are in the way. And you're right. They know when to pivot. They have an instinctual nature about them. But, you know, whenever, uh, it's always it's always tough for me to judge ideas, but when I meet people, I can often think to myself, "This is a person who can do it." You, you meet the person, you get to know them, you, you can see a certain amount of drive in them, um, and you're thinking, "Wow, this 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 person could really do something." Even if it's not this idea, I know this person will be around in the future. And then sometimes you meet people like Mike Kaufman, and <laughs> you know, and you just say, "Well, I could we could put this person on a podcast to keep them busy." <laughs> and Scott, you see what I have to do? I need that um, help me grow yeah, right yeah, now. Yeah, I, yeah, I got to sure. call in. Dave is emotionally abusing me again. Yeah. To, to, yeah. Be, to be fair, so everyone knows out there, Mike's company is on the verge of major success. So we're it's, all very And, and actually, I want to, you know, Scott, you and I were talking. And in terms of that pivot, you know, originally Moby was a B2C company. Started talking to some interesting folks, CEOs of hospitals, and they identified an opportunity where my company would be better off as a B2B company. And that's what I executed on. And, you know, since that happened, uh, things are trending in a really good direction. But without those resources, I wouldn't have been able to even do that in the first place. Um, so it's, 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 it's fascinating, to say the least. Well, so let me ask you a question. Did you start off that way? Are you, were you able to... Like, if you look back earlier in your life, were, were you always able to identify, like, when something wasn't quite working and then make that pivot? Or is this something that you feel like you've strengthened over time? Well, I mean, in terms of startups, this is my second startup. My first one was a very different experience. It was a beverage company. There wasn't really an opportunity for 
pivot, so to speak. And I don't even want to say I, I totally pivoted with Movi. I would say I spent a lot of time experimenting with product market fit. And finally, I figured out where the best opportunity is, how to partner with the companies, the organizations that are already there so we could cooperatively work together to achieve the same core mission. Uh, so, you know, I'd say a year ago, I knew something wasn't clicking with my company, but I wasn't able to see through the fog of war to determine where that opportunity should be. Uh, but, you know, it was really just about grinding, talking to the right people, and finally kind of the fog dissipated, and I saw, okay, there, there right. it is. But you also probably had a few conversations that it clicked pretty quickly, and then once it clicked... Yeah, you know, but like, you, like, you see the click, and you see how you want it to click, and the lock and key, but in order to, like, figure that out and, and have a solid business model around that, that's really difficult. So what I did was, you know, became a conduit around a lot of other companies trying to achieve the same thing. Uh, and that was kind of the start of it. And then slowly Movi molded into something very different, uh, but still the same at its core. Um, but yeah, and it, you know, it's, it's fascinating and unbelievably helpful to have the resources that, you know, you're providing for, for ideapreneurs and entrepreneurs and, and all the like, so they can navigate this and have impact. Yeah. And Dave, I kind of want to get back to one of the things you were saying about like the investor and how it's, it's the, not the idea, but the jockey, you know, you, mm-hmm. you've been on the jockey kind of thing. And, and, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk is a big person about that. Like it's almost every VC that I've talked or talked to. Yeah. Every VC that I've heard really top VCs that they kind of say something similar where it's they, they were betting on the person and it's, and it's kind of thing from an entrepreneur perspective where it's, and Mike, you probably even allude to this and you can talk about it, is that when they're, when they don't get the idea of the business, it's like, you almost take it so personally because you're like, well, they didn't bet on me. You know, they, they're not betting on me, not the idea. Cause at the end of the day, I think that's a false, what a lot of these organizations are doing Connecticut are betting on certain people or at least organizations and at least trying to lift them up. Mm-hmm. And because again, the idea at the end of the day isn't, I mean, ideas are dime a dozen. It's, it's, it's just the execution. Mm-hmm. That's the biggest thing is that. So, so that's from the entrepreneur's perspective, I will say is that it gets kind of personal is that when <laughs> they don't get it, you're like, God damn it, they didn't. They don't think I got it, you know. So the, or, I mean, the alternative is when they lure you on for you know two months, yes, where they get the yeah. idea, they love the idea, they love you as a well. Then you they know, see, as an they entrepreneur. see, it, they see it because it, like they know you had they, you had obstacles, and then they didn't come on, but you still overcame those obstacles. So you right. use that, right? Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, obviously, at that point, you as the entrepreneur should be thinking, well, these people have poor judgment, and they're not the right person. <laughs> well, yeah, who are so, you to judge their judgment? That's right. <laughs> well, exactly. That's how you stay like sane, and you keep on, you know, waking up and doing it, doing it the next day. Yeah, but it is so easy to get hung up on the idea or on the innovation that we're, yes. we're talking about. Um, and and I would say that that's more. I, I see that even as more true with those experts that. You, that entrepreneurs would like to maybe gain access to um, because, you know, you, you kind of get hung up on this idea. It's like, well, is this thing actually going to work mm-hmm. as opposed to saying, is this, is, is this person on the right path? And can I provide some feedback that will help them or strengthen them in some way? Um, and so it is something that we should just keep talking about. I would say in terms of getting um, folks to really focus on that, that entrepreneur, the innovator uh, and not just, get excited about, you know, the shiny object in the room is well, that idea. Well, part of, I mean, part of it on the entrepreneur side, part of their learning process, part of becoming a CEO is, is being willing to take criticism about your idea and learning how to pivot. Right. I, I mean, I think one of the toughest things that mentors and uh, administrative staff of accelerators and incubators run into is that an entrepreneur has an idea and they think this idea is really cool. 
they do not know and they haven't found out whether that idea actually solves a problem that people are willing to pay something for or e even for for non uh you know for business for companies that aren't going to become like for-profit businesses it's just whether this idea is something that the world needs or would respond to um and or even does the or even answers the, the problem in such a way that the world will respond to it and uh and i've seen you know, entrepreneurs were very focused on the idea, the way they developed it, and the way they wanted it, and they would not move. And uh, frankly, you know, that became such a hang-up that they don't get much out of the incubator or accelerator or whatever mentorship they're trying to provide because they're so busy defending this idea without actually finding out whether it's you know the right idea. Right. Um, you know, again, it's it's so much about the person, um, and uh, you know, it's certainly one of the I think the best bits of advice is for any entrepreneurs to be open to criticism. Doesn't mean you have to accept it, but you need to you, you need to take a reasonable look at things and be ready to move. Yeah, I I have seen people on the other end of that spectrum though too, <coughs> where it's they can't move forward because they're almost paralyzed by yep. by not having a direction, and I I, I find that my piece of advice that I'm giving to folks more than um, it's time for you to pivot is it's time for you to choose a path and, and go. <laughs> Just do something. Right? Um, so, you know, it's that sort of the lean startup concept or whatever. It's like you actually have to kind of make an, you know, you think, yeah. I mean, think about it from a research side of things, do, do a little experiment here. Does this thing work? I mean, and take a small piece of it and do it um, and then learn from that. Um, it, it's often that I see people taking like almost a very horizontal approach to things and saying, well, they kind of get, take the first two steps in like 30 different directions rather than necessarily <laughs> mm -hmm. taking five steps in one direction and then kind of seeing where that goes. So that, so I think there's that advice is on both sides. So, you know, listen to the feedback, but then not every single piece of feedback, not, you shouldn't follow every single piece of feedback Absolutely. You either. So how do you choose which one well, is the one you want to do? So, so. being so being decisive and <clears throat> being decisive in 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 all directions, right? Be doing when to move and when to not to move and when to pivot and so on is is maybe the most key skill. Mm -hmm. And and it's interesting because uh, so uh, one of the incubators that I uh, that I mentor at, um, you know, I one of the pieces of advice I bring up early on, I said, listen, you're going to hear a lot of advice from all the mentors. Some of them aren't going to even agree with each other. Uh, as a matter of fact, a lot of them may not agree with each other because everybody has their own perspective on these things. But it's your company. It's your idea. Your job as as the the lead person, the lead entrepreneur, is to make a decision as to what works and what doesn't. You should be open to hearing everybody. But at the same time, you need to, you know, it's, at the end of the day, it's you. You're the one making the decision. And no matter how much experience these people have versus how little experience you have, it's still your responsibility. At the same time, you know, you know, follow the process. There's a reason why people have created these processes of customer research and doing things. These things help you make decisions and they help you make good decisions. So if, you know, if you're, if you're just making every decision on your own and you're not listening to, and you're not following a process of doing everything to make sure that, that you, you know, you've got the right market, then you're going to run into other trouble. But, you know, again, that's up to the person. They're the ones responsible at the end of the day. Yeah. No, I, mean, I think that's the quintessential entrepreneur story, right? That they, they get a whole bunch of feedback that says they're never going to succeed. Yeah. And then they do. So there's clearly something internal that lets people drive through. But then at the same time, they, they do move every once in a while onto different things. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, how do you, how do you thread that needle? Um, it's, it's tricky. And how do you, know, how do you build strength? How do you provide advice to folks to, to help them 
with those types of things. You go to the uh, CT startup dispute resolution <laughs> process. Yes, you do. It's the only way forward, actually. <laughs> Fantastic. So, Scott, if some if there's some uh, innovators out there that want to be a part of you know, the program that you have going on, how can they get in touch with you? All right, well, a couple things. First, um, you, can, you, can, um, you can follow us on Twitter. We're at, at, at Advancing Kids um, is our Twitter handle. And we also have a, a, a blog that we um, are up to, you know, pretty much weekly or even twice a week um, at, at advancingkids.org. So you can certainly follow us that way. Um, and then, I, and I believe we also have a, 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 an email address that you can reach out to us at, at which is advancingkids at connecticutchildrens.org. Um, so you can kind of reach out to us in a number of different ways. I'd love to connect with you. I, I, I never say no to a conversation. Um, and, and I think that's a really important piece for every, everyone at this table. I know is exactly the same way about that. And, um, and it is so important for us to, to just kind of explore and see what's out there. Um, and so I'm, I'm really happy to have people reach out to us. And so if you have anything that's related to, that has a health component to it, or if you'd like, you kind of value that lens of like, how does, how does what I'm doing strengthen families or strengthen, um, children's outcomes in the long term? Um, we can certainly, um, think about that. And, and that's an evolving area. And as population health comes to be, whatever happens here with Obamacare and the next election and everything else, um, you know, we're, I think we're moving forward. There's other um, countries who are much further along this path than we are about thinking about the population rather than thinking about it the way that we do here. And so um, so those business models will become more and more relevant, I believe, as we go forward. Nice. And so you have uh, you have some documents on that chick. You will uh, link those up in the, in the post for, uh, for everybody. And people absolutely. can uh, go to our website and uh, download them with the uh, podcast as well. And if you like it, Obviously, your contact information is all on the stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know, if you're still listening, by the way, I'm extremely excited that you're still listening, and I, and, and and I feel like I need to connect with you anyway. So just just drop, drop me a line. <laughs> and and again, drop us a line. Uh, leave us email. Check out our website and uh, get our updates. We've got some exciting stuff happening this fall. We're looking forward to uh, keeping things going. Fantastic. Scott, thanks for being on. Thank you for having me. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening to the CT Startup Podcast. We want to thank our audio sponsor, the Murphy Kalina Law Firm, our guests for their time and input, our production company, Sublime Exposure Online, and of course, you, our listeners, for helping make all this possible. Make sure to check out our Facebook page, our webpage at ctstartup.com, and our Twitter at ctstartupcast. Please make sure to join our newsletter for all the latest information on the Connected Startup Series.